0: How you doing? Okay? Enjoying the summer? Yeah? Good? That's good. Um, last night my wife and I went to uh, West Stockbridge, Massachusetts to see um, a man by the name of Larry Grenadier. How many of you have heard of Larry Grenadier? He's, uh, he's one of the top uh, 10 bass players in the world. And of course he plays upright and we sat there for an hour and a half and listened to solo bass playing. He released a solo album himself. and uh, It's what heaven is like, you know. And it's going to be a lot of bass players in heaven. And, uh, so, uh, but we had a wonderful time. We, we have found this great coffee shop that we're not going to tell you about. No, no, we will tell you about it. And uh, we made friends with, uh, with the uh, owner, and uh, it was just a great time. So I'm glad you're having a good time. I know you're used to filet mignon, but now you've got hamburger this morning. Uh, just, just kidding, just kidding. Um, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for um, this church, what it's doing in the world, uh, what it's doing with each other, how you're creating uh, a body of Christ here, and I ask that... Um, I would uh, encourage that, that I would um, uh, bring hope and especially the more meaning to the focus that we need to have as we move out into the, into the world. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. 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 In his book, Mr. Jones Meets the Master, Peter Marshall says that in all too many cases, Christians are like deep sea divers encased in suits that are designed for many fathoms deep, bravely marching forth to pull out plugs and bathtubs." <laughs> I think what he's getting at there is that we've been given an incredible message by the most important person in the universe. And that message is, of course, that heaven is a free gift and it can be possessed, eternal life can be possessed now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes upon his name shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel message. And I have to tell you that sometimes, and I'm confessing here too, we forget that. Uh, Not the message itself, but we forget the priority it is and the focus that it needs to have. In other words, we we get out of focus. Anthony talked about a little bit last week, you know, where we, we fight over the forms of baptism. The one I like is eschatology. Uh, eschatology is the study of future things. And of course, when you start studying these things, you realize that there's a pre trib rapture, there's a post trib rapture, there's a mid trib rapture, and there's groups around all of these areas. And then when you come to the millennium, you got. The pre-millennial perspective, you've got the post-millennial perspective, you got the amillennial perspective. And I like when one guy came up to me and said, I'm a pan-millennialist. I said, what's that? Said, all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> so, so, but sometimes, so we allow those things to take our focus off what that central message is, don't we? And even personally, if we think that all of this is for us, I think we're beginning to lose our focus a little bit. You know, if we think all of the Bible studies are for us alone, and for uh, all the things that we do here uh, with our lives, that it's for us, it's for my growth, it's for my development. Now, don't misunderstand me. Um, We need to have Bible studies. We need to have small groups, and we need to take advantage of them, and we need to grow in them I'm just saying that if we stop there, like so many churches do, we can end up out of focus. And we end up being picky, being uh, fighting with one another, and fighting with other churches, because it's all about us. And so what we need, I think, and this is just a reminder to you, because I think this church is doing wonderful things in regard to reaching out beyond ourselves. I want to encourage that. I want to talk about a passage that gives us a laser focus on what the central message is. And this isn't about us, it's about us being the church in the world. You know, when we come here, we're a church, we're a gathering. His purpose is to put us in the world. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 61. Because I think here you're going to find how he uh, gives us a focus on the importance of this message that we have. This particular passage is quoted by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 4 at the start of his ministry. And so, um, let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to transliterate once again the the names of God because I think they're important and I don't know why the English translations kind of wash over this kind of thing but they are important. The spirit of Adonai Yahweh is, is on me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, or better, blind. To proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor, and the day of vengeance of our Elohim, to comfort all who mourn, to provide to those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a, uh, better would be, a, um, a turban of beauty, instead of ashes, uh, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of Yahweh for the display of his splendor. This passage really falls into two sections. The first section is seen in the first part of verse 1. Here we see the commission of the servant. Many believe that this is the fifth servant song of the four servant songs that happened earlier in Isaiah. Because, first of all, the servant is speaking here, and Jesus actually uses this uh, and he's, when he's in the temple, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, so here he's commissioning, he's being commissioned uh, in verse 1. And the second part, uh, from verse 1b all the way to the end of verse 3, is really the purpose and focus of his, of his message. And it should be our focus as well. Now, that doesn't mean that just because we're going to do everything that Jesus did, uh, when he quoted this verse, that he went out and did all kinds of miracles, uh, he did miracles to substantiate who he was and what he came to do. But he has given us the same commission. He has told us to make disciples of all nations. Um, and... So here is a beautifully way of stating the same kind of thing. So let's look at this. Uh, the first section here, you see that the, the servant is appointed by the Spirit of God to bring God's message. Um, you can see this with the words, upon me, in verse 1, the latter part of verse, the first uh, stanza. And then anointed me. When, the, when people in the scriptures are anointed and, and the Spirit has come upon them, they were chosen for a particular work, a particular task. Uh, in the Old Testament, they, um, the Spirit of God came upon people uh, and, they, and he empowered them for a particular purpose. You see this with the kings, such as King Saul, uh, who the Spirit left. And then you see it in King David as well. And you ever wonder in Psalm 51 when he's confessing his sin, he says, do not take your spirit from me. Now that can't happen today. But it could happen to him back then because he saw what it did to Saul. So the spirit enabled people for a particular task, and a particular kind of service. So if you were to bring that over into the New Testament, uh, what we're talking about here is the filling of the spirit. Because every believer is indwelt with the Spirit of God. If you're not indwelt with the Spirit of God, then you have no part of Him. And so every believer, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8, we all have the Spirit of God. And so what I think is going on here, when we bring this concept of anointing over, we're looking at the filling of the Spirit of God. The, the, The enabling, the controlling of the Spirit of God as we Move out into the world. So that means that when we're when because we are um, engaged with this incredible message, we need to move into people's lives with the power and authority of the Spirit of God, uh, not on our own efforts. <laughs> um, we can easily rely upon our own efforts and will certain things into, you know, force things into. Uh, into existence in a sense of a conversation, in a sense of our lives, that's not the way the Spirit of God works in people's lives. We need to operate under his impulse, his control, and his power. So now, he moves knowing that, knowing that this message is given to us, and we as people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, move out into the world, now we move into the purposes of the message that we are going to bring. And he gives us five purposes. Um, they're five infinitives, grammatically. And they, they're pointing to a purpose. The first thing that, we're, that you'll see here is the first two. They're all five twos in here. There's a number of twos, but there are five purpose twos in here. To preach the good news to the poor. Now the good news... Certainly had gone through progressive understanding in the Old Testament to the point where in the New Testament we have a pretty definitive idea of what that good news is. Matter of fact in 1 Corinthians 15 verses three and four is actually defined for us. Uh, Paul says that the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. Now, that's a definition of it, but it doesn't tell us how we get it. Uh, it, And if you want to know how this message gets into people's lives, just read the Gospel of John. Uh, John 20, 31 actually states the purpose of why he wrote the Gospel. And he wrote it so that you might believe in the Son of God, and believing in him, you might have life. So eternal life is a key term in the Gospel of John. It's the only Gospel written to indicate and to show us what it means to have it. So look at how that means, how that has progressed through the Gospel of John. Um, But primarily, it's by faith. We trust in Jesus for eternal life. and That is the good news. Now, the problem I think we often have is when we interact with people, we always think that they're at a point where they're going to cross that line between unbelief and belief. And they're not, many people are not there. Some people are. And God bless if you're able to you know, talk to someone when they're at the point of faith and watch them walk over to, to walk, walk past that line of belief. But often it's on a continuum, isn't it? You know, somebody's way out here. Uh, antagonistic against Christians. They have an idea from the media, from uh, what you see on TV, what, what stupid things that we do. And they think, you're like that? And so this is how they are. They're so antagonistic about it. But now, if you reach out to them, and you find out that you're not you know, a uh, three-eyed monkey, with uh, delusional thoughts of uh, grandeur they might go like you know, I was wrong and maybe your interaction causes them to move from complete antagonism to you're different there's something about you that's different I don't know what it is yet but it's different and it's about how we have relationships with those people. And so many times it's just moving a person along the needle, along the spectrum. And that maybe that's what God has enabled you to do with some people. And that's all that you're going to be able to do. You're going to move them from one point to another. And maybe you'll never see them cross the line that line. So we need to relax about that. That when we interact with people, when we share when we share our faith, or I should say, Talk about our faith that that we need to understand that sometimes people are just not going to cross that line right away. But his the gospel never loses. You know what I mean by that? It doesn't fall out there void. It comes back, and he's using it in people's lives. Now he says that that we were to preach good news to the poor, and I'm going to group this the word for poor with the broken hearted. Uh, this is the, the second to, uh, this good news, this, this salvation by grace through faith brings hope to the hopeless. The word afflicted and broken hearted, it refers to, to those who are outcast. Their spirit has been crushed. Their expressions uh, are, uh, the expression describes people of little or no hope. They have an utter sense of emptiness, a sense of loss, of unworthiness, and they feel like they're never gonna get out of it. A good illustration of that would be refugees, exiles. This message is for them. This message is to uh, bring hope to those who are hopeless. Now, maybe many people uh, and yourself have never been in that situation. Uh, physically. Never been destitute. Uh, Maybe some of you have. Maybe you've hit the bottom of your life and you know what this is like. You know what it's like to be brokenhearted and to be afflicted and to be poor to the point where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. But I do know that all of us have felt that way inside. All of us in our lives somewhere along the way uh, have felt that kind of brokenheartedness towards ourselves, towards others, towards God. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how you have been raised from the pit uh, to be mended, to be uh, brought forth by this message. While it was hopeless, you thought for yourself, but when this message was shared to you, it brought hope to you. Don't forget that, it's important. I remember this uh, came crashing down on me uh, one day in 1987. I'd been out of the seminary a few years. and I went to the first Congress on the Bible in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, think Charles Colsoon was up there, and all the big speakers were there. And uh, they had a lunch break, and so I, I went outside and across the street to go. Um, I used to, believe it or not, I could eat McDonald's. I can't eat it anymore. But, so I was going to McDonald's, you know, I was just walking down the sidewalk and there's a guy standing at the door and he turned to me and he said, could you give me some food? You know how it is, you, you don't really look at them. you know. So I just walked right in, you know, ignored them. And I'm looking at the, at the food menu and I suddenly get a reminder of some verses. Uh, you know, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, whoever uh, does not love, does not know God. Uh, or Matthew 25. Um, to the fact that you did these to the least of these, you have done it unto me. And you know, it's like, all right, all right. So you try to get that out of your head. You know, so I get my food and I go over to the to the lunch room, and of course, it's jammed in there. And there's one seat open, right? And guess where it is? It's in front of the window where the guy is standing. <laughs> so I'm sit, I sit down, and I'm looking. I, I, I almost hear this voice say, "Yeah, I, I want you to watch this." So uh, I'm eating away and stuff in my face. And this other guy comes down uh, across the street. And he, I guess here, he says the same thing to the guy. And he, and he, get, he brings him in. And I'm watching them come in. And uh, he says to the guy, order whatever you want. And so he orders this tray full of food, you know. And he brings him over. And some people had left. And there's an empty space. And it's like right there across from me. He sat him down. I can see the tears running down his face. I almost heard God say to me, you going to get with the program? This is what I'm about. I never forgot that. Is that a message worth giving your life to? The message that brings hope to the hopeless? I think it is. And it caused me to refocus my life. But it only gives hope to the hopeless, but also liberty to the captives. You see this in the second part of the verse. To proclaim freedom from the, uh, for the captives. It's the third purpose. We have the gospel message to the poor. And then to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom to the captives. Freedom throughout the Old Testament. This word is used for the opening of the eyes. It's the idea of being in total darkness suddenly being brought out into the light. You've ever been in a cave where you you can't see the hand in front of your face? Uh, That's the idea here is that it brought from darkness into light Um, as opposed to um, what it says in terms of prisoners. It it has that kind of sense in which, because you're blind, you're you're, you're imprisoned by it. Um, And many people are imprisoned who are imprisoned by uh, bondage to things that really weigh them down, that incapacitate them, that blind them to anything that's going on around them. It can be be greed, it can be uh, drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be lust, it can be pornography. But the good news, the gospel provides liberty to those that are captive by it. It is the power of God to release someone from that kind of darkness. Now, it's not, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Granted, there might be a lot of other things that you have to do to kind of work in terms of understanding and disciplining yourself, and accountability, all those things I'm assuming that would happen, but the life of God is generated in your soul so that you have the power of God to overcome them. Is that worth giving your life to? That kind of message? It, it, is, it gives hope to the hopeless. It proclaims liberty to the brokenhearted, uh, to the uh, captivity, to those who are in captive, captive by it. And Also gives grace to those who have fallen. Here it says, uh, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of Elohim. Um, This is, when Jesus quoted this verse, he stopped right before he said the day of vengeance of our God. And why did he stop there? Because it wasn't the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance happens when he comes again. But he stopped there and he turned and he said, this is fulfilled in my reading of it. Of course, they knew what he was proclaiming, and so they tried to throw him off a cliff. Uh, But what he's uh, alluding to, the year of favor, refers to the year of Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25. I know you're all having devotions in Leviticus right now. And my wife loves that book. She uh, just—no, I was kidding. Uh, But Leviticus chapter 25 outlines the idea of the festivities of the, the year of jubilee. What it is is every 49 years, all their credit cards were forgiven, all their car loans were paid off, all their mortgages were paid, all their debt was paid. And all the land that had been chopped up and stolen was all restored to them. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? I think we should have that. A year of Jubilee, maybe every five years. Uh, No. uh, But what happens is that in that next year, in the 50th year, they would do nothing. They were to enjoy themselves. Um, And so... If you bring this kind of concept over to the New Testament, really what I think he's speaking of here for us, he's speaking of forgiveness. He's speaking of being restored. I love that verse in 1 John 1, 9. If we are faithful, I mean, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear what that said? If I have a sin that violated the heart of God, and I bring it to him, to confess it to him, the promise also says that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean even that which I don't see? Even that which I'm not conscious of? Yes, yes. That's what the verse says. So we don't need to scrape our consciousness to find out all the bad stuff that we're doing because we can't leave everything out. All we're saying is that when we we confess our sins to God, this verse is a promise that says he cleanses us from all sin, even the stuff that I don't see behind me. You know, I might uh, have a a mark on my shirt and you know, he's cleaning that off for me. But then I I don't know, there's a big hole back here. You know? And he takes care of that too. That's a Jubilee year, spiritually, isn't it? All is forgiven. So it brings hope to the hopeless, liberty from captivity, and grace to those who have fallen. But not only that, it also brings joy in the place of sorrow. This is the power of this gospel message is that it brings uh, incredible hope and power to our lives and it brings joy in the place of sorrow. And look at how beautifully he describes this in first I mean, verse 3. To provide to those who grieve in Zion. To bestow, and these are all modifying phrase up to the purpose statement. To bestow... Upon them, I have a crown of beauty. It's actually a turban or a festive headdress uh, where it would be wrapped around your head and it's, uh, it's the idea of beauty instead of ashes. Now ashes were used to signify repentance and you would, you can see this in Job, you would put the ashes on your head and you'd rub your face in the ashes. And what he's saying here is that if you are mourning that he's going to replace the ashes on your head with a beautiful turban. It's a festive garb, so to speak, a festive headdress so that you are able to celebrate. And then he says that that you are to have the oil of gladness. Uh, oils were never used in repentance. Oils were used always... When the repentance was over, when the fast was over, they would uh, wash their faces and, and bodies with oils. Like, it's like taking a shower for us and that we would get rid of all of that. And he's saying that if the oil of gladness would be replaced, would be replacing the mourning that we would have. And then he goes on to speak of the garment of praise uh, instead of a spirit of despair. A garment, once again, festus clothing for at banquet. They would dress themselves this way. And instead of despair, despair is a word used of a, of a candle that's flickering and about ready to go out. You ever have those at home where you light it and it burns down and it's hardly anything? See, that's where people are sometimes. And he's saying that the gospel message is able to bring life to that candle and to bring uh, a, a festive celebration, a banquet to people's lives. Now, here's the result. You don't see this in the text, but that they will be called oaks of righteousness. It's a result clause. So that they, in other words, all that what the gospel does is resulting in this. So that they are called oaks of righteousness. Better would be trees of righteousness. The good news is about producing stability and strength in people's lives. Uh, Karen and I uh, drive from South Hadley to Hartford every day, believe it or not. We work down there. And we live kind of out in the farm country. And we go by these cornfields. And at the beginning of summer, you know, I look at these, this corn coming up. And I kind of look at that and say, you know, I need to be growing too. My own spiritual life, I see that kind of going. The next week it's like this. And it's like, it's sort of a, uh, I'm looking at this really, am I really growing? But I, but I have to realize that God isn't in the business of growing corn for me, <laughs> okay? Because the first frost that comes, that corn is gone. But he's interested in building a tree of righteousness in my life. And the result of this gospel message is that it brings righteousness, stability, uh, uh, a security uh, in, in my life based upon his grace to us and that we will be called the planting of Yahweh uh, this gospel message is ultimately pointing to him yes it's, it's not for us alone and we need not to get stuck there that, that we are in grown and we're thinking of only ourselves and all that we do by the way I'm so happy that the discipleship program has missional in there that's what I'm talking about, is being missional in our lives. But it's not just for those out there, too, because it ultimately brings glory to God. Now, I have a question for you. How do you add glory to God who has all the glory in the universe? I and mean, how do you do that? Well, you do it by showing someone who doesn't know him who he is. That enhances his reputation. That tells him, that shows him, that expands who he is to others when they don't know who he is. We are sitting on dynamite. This message is the power of God to transform lives. From those who are sick, to those who are lost, to those who are broken hearted, to fully devoted followers. It proclaims hope to those without hope. It proclaims liberty to those that are in prison. It gives grace, forgiveness to those who have fallen. And it turns mourning into joy. Now, when I talk about mission, and I talk about this with some people, that it gets kind of really complicated. you know. I, I don't know how to do this. You know. I, don't, I really don't know how to reach out to people. It, it's, it's scary, it's, it's difficult. And I, what I want to do is just talk about um, um, an acrostic that, that was put out by uh, Alan Hirsch and uh, Michael Frost. I would encourage you to read their books. Um, it's called Bells, <laughs> the acrostic. And this is just a simple way in which you can begin to be missional in your life, to bring this message, this glorious message to those who don't know what it is. The first, uh, the B stands for blessing. These are little things, by the way. It's not complicated things. Blessing, what I mean by blessing is that you wake up in the morning, you say to yourself, how can I make someone else's day better today? Now, I hope you're doing it with your wife. I if you're doing it with your husband and your kids, but I'm talking about those you work with. How can I today make that person's life better? And believe me, they'll notice it. The, the E stands for eating with somebody. <laughs> Invite somebody over for dinner. Uh, when you're invited to dinner, go to dinner. Uh, have a cookout. As a matter of fact, your assignment is on Labor Day is to have all your neighbors over for a cookout at your house. Okay? Use it as a any holiday as a means of doing that. We have a group, by the way, we, we have a gospel community group that I lead, but we have an entirely other group that's completely non-Christian. And the way we started this is we just started on a New Year's Day. We kind of said, let's invite everybody that we know that aren't believers, and let's have them over for dinner, or, or, or brunch. And so we've done that, and lo and behold, it's a, a normal thing that we do with them. And they all know we're people of faith, and interesting, we have opportunities in that context to talk about it, and maybe God's moving them a little bit uh, towards understanding who He is. And then the L, the first L stands for listening to God. And What I mean by that is uh, it's listening to what God's doing in their life, uh, because we might think arrogantly that we're you know, we're here to give you the gospel, son. You know, uh, well. You don't realize that God's already been there before you ever got there. And sometimes we need to listen to that. A lot of times we need to listen to that. What is God doing in their lives now? And the other L stands for learning as a disciple. You need to study and understand Jesus Christ and his ministry on this earth. And I would encourage you to make it a normal uh, yearly practice reading through the Gospels And look especially about how he interacts with people uh, in regard to his message, his purpose, and what he was there to do. The last one is sent. The idea here is that we are sent people. And we should need to evaluate how I was like Christ today or how I was not like him. And Even this past week, I said, oh, you weren't like Christ when you were doing that, bud you know, but it's a way of evaluating it. Now, I don't want you to take this list and use it as a legalistic thing over your head. If you're not doing this, you're not being missional. No, no, I don't, you're misunderstanding the whole idea of it then. Just take one aspect of this just run this through and make it a part of your everyday life. And who knows, maybe there'll be a banquet. Uh, That you'll be a part of someday. That you'll see. That you had an influence on. That you know nothing about when you get there. But is that a message worth giving your life to? Is it? I think it is. I want to close with a story. uh, That is about a banquet. There's a story in the Boston Globe in June of 1990 the most unusual wedding banquet. Accompanied by her fiance, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and to order the meals for the wedding banquet. The two of them poured over the uh, the menu and made selections of china, of silver. They pointed to various pictures of flowers that they liked and both had very expensive tastes. And the bill came to $13,000. Probably nothing compared to today. Uh, After leaving uh, a check for half the amount for the down payment, the couple went home and uh, began to look through uh, wedding announcements. The date the announcement was supposed to come out, hit the mailbox and they were supposed to hit the mailbox and the potential groom got cold feet. He said, you know, I'm just not sure about this. You know, it's a big commitment and maybe we need to think about this a little bit more before we go into it. Well, of course, they had a big fight and the engagement was broken. So uh, she went back to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet. The Hyatt events manager said uh, that she couldn't understand. uh, She understands perfectly what she went through. She says, I went through the very same thing, honey. Quote her. I hate honey, by the way. Uh, And they said they told the story. Uh, She told the story of her own broken relationship. About the refund, she said, I've got bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. Now you have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. Sorry, I really can't help you. So it seemed crazy But the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Uh, Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Uh, Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet and found a good job and uh, set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down-and-outers of Boston to a night in the town. And so it was. In that June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. She she sent invitations out to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And the warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizzas off a cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. The Hyatt waiters dressed in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up on crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalk and instead ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. The power of the gospel message is that it brings hope to the hopeless, liberty to those who are trapped in captivity, and grace to those who have fallen, and joy to those who mourn. Let's pray. Father, as uh, we take this in, may it refocus our lives so that we don't become so distracted and begin to think and complain about things that these things are for us. Help remind us, Lord, as we, as we live this week, that we are to be the church in the world. And that message that we have has incredible power to change and transform lives of those who knew nothing of you to fully devoted followers of you. May that be true this week. May we all take a step and remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. For we ask it,